yeah, growing up, we didn't, we didn't really have a language um, to communicate our feelings. We didn't have um, a language for what's happening inside us. And, um, well, that, that's just because that's all we knew. And we didn't, we didn't, in our family, we didn't have a way of dealing with our conflict. And this often led to a lot of anger and a lot of fights. And, um, yeah, it was, we had a lot of good times. And I'm really thankful for everything that I was given growing up. I had so many opportunities. I um, always had food, shelter, clothing. And most of all, I was um, exposed to Jesus growing up. So um, really thankful for that. But yeah, we didn't have that language and we didn't have a process for dealing with our conflict. Um, One story of this is our house was an old character house and it was circular on the inside, so it was all connected on the inside. And um, (laughs) Andre are laughing because they know this. so if we were either in trouble or um, we were going to get a smack or we were going to get in a fight with one of our brothers, the mission would be to get outside of the circle, out the back door, and then onto the street where we were safe. And um, so we learned, we learned how to get to safety because when you got to the street, no one would come out because we wanted to keep up the good appearance. But the neighbours knew we were all crazy anyway. And because we didn't have this language, we didn't have a a way to communicate what's happening inside us, um, I started to devalue myself. I, I, didn't, I didn't have worth in myself. I didn't, um, I didn't really care about who I was because I didn't know who I was and I didn't know what God actually thought of me. This then led to, in my teenage years, um, started living my own life. I started, um, you know partying, boozing, drugs, uh, girls, the whole shebang. And um, I also learned this other skill called um, pacifying, which was an interesting one. And that was, I started to keep people happy that I needed to. I started to keep my parents happy. I started to keep people at church happy by turning up, saying the right things, and um, keeping the good appearance. This then meant that I didn't let people into my heart. And I started to become a mess. Um, and this was in the early, uh, late teenage years. And that's when I really turned to drugs and partying and um, um, drug abuse to really bad um, states. And um, I remember one night lying in my sleep out, 118 Huntsbury Ave, and lying there being fully depressed, um, probably on a come down after a big weekend saying to Jesus, like, you know, this can't be it. And um, I said, Jesus, this can't be it. Show me, show me what, what's really out there. And that night I felt, uh, some people have talked about it, but I felt it. I felt a warm presence into me. I felt peace into me that night. Um, and at that point, God plucked me out of that sort of scene. He sort of, he sort of took me out of the drugs and the partying and the alcohol he just sort of plucked me right out of it. And um, I started to, um, yeah, I wasn't on the drugs and the alcohol. And um, I started going back to old Christian friends and 
um, starting to get involved in the church, serving where they told me to serve because it was a good thing to do. Um, but I didn't deal with all the pain I had from prior to becoming a Christian. So all of that pain that I had inside me that caused me to do everything that was harmful for me, I didn't deal with it. And um, that then led to, so I was, I was a Christian, I was at the church, again, looked like I was doing all right in the Christian life, you know. But really my, my inner world was an absolute mess. I, I had no self-worth, I always felt inadequate. Um, I didn't value myself, and even as a Christian, and um, a lot of you guys that know that I, uh, well, I then got married, which was another miracle in my life, some, somehow convincing the lady to marry me. Um, but a lot of you will know in marriage, all of that stuff that's in there, um, the best way to describe it is like liquefaction, all of that stuff that sits just below the surface, and when an earthquake comes along, marriage in this case, comes along, it shakes it all up <laughs> and spits it out like liquefaction. And you've got tons of mess. Tons of mess. Everyone's on the street digging and cleaning liquefaction. That, that's what happened to me. And um, my beautiful, strong wife, she was there to try and pick up the pieces where she could. Um, but um, it was, yeah, it turned to crap. And we didn't have anywhere to go. We... Um, we didn't have anyone to talk to about this mess. In fact, when it got so bad, I remember reaching out to a couple pastors and being like, look, mate, I've got all this going on. Like, I need, I need some help. I need some help. And they sort of looked at me odd, like, you know, what are you, what are you on about? And they, they, didn't, they didn't even know what to do with all of this pain that I was carrying and projecting onto my wife. They didn't know what to do. And so we were left feeling really... All good? Enough time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've, only you've, only <laughs> you've only got six minutes, bro. All right, all right, sweet. Um, I paid you for 15. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll flick you the bill later. Um, and so we were isolated. We had no one to turn to, no one to talk to, and um, felt really alone. And um, thankfully, Jeff and Ariana, they'd come across um, Douglas McConnell as they joined this church, and... Uh, Jeff said, look, we're probably not in the um, you know, right relationship to help you, with, which is totally normal. But we know this fella, Doug, that does some work with men, and he'd be willing to see you. I was like, all right, we'll go see this fella, Doug. And Doug flicks me a text. He's like, mate, come over now. And um, <laughs> I come to meet him that, 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 that next morning or that week or whatever. And um, he shared his story with me. I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's sort of getting it. And um, he invited me after I shared my story. He's like, look, mate, this isn't an uh, overnight fix, but let's go on a journey together. He said, let's go on the journey into your heart. Let's go on the journey of peace, healing, a new understanding of Jesus, and a new understanding of who I am. And I was like, all right, mate, sign me up. And um, he then invited me into a um, discipleship group, which a couple of the brothers are here today, where we did all the stuff of um, learning, pr pretty much in a very short sentence, learning who Jesus really is. And um, so the first half of last year, 
was going okay. I was, I was starting to get a, um, a language for my feelings. I was, I was able to tell my wife how I'm feeling, which was new, and I was able to um, communicate and get an understanding of what's happening inside of my heart. And then I, we were starting to deal with conflict and peace. So if you know Doug, he's got, he's got feelings chart and a conflict and peace process chart, and he carries them around with him everywhere he goes. And so that's what I started doing, first half of the year. I started doing these things, and um, we started to get somewhere. Leah and I, we, we started to um, have a new language. We'd say, oh, what's happening for you? How are you feeling? Um, we started dealing with conflict and peace, which was new to me, completely new. And um, that was going well. That was going good. And um, it was getting us somewhere. But about halfway through last year, we... Um, we had another bit of a wall. Not as bad as the start last year, but definitely had a wall and I couldn't shake it. I kept, something happened in, in and around our marriage and I couldn't get past this thing. Like, I kept reacting, I kept um, projecting, I, I, I couldn't hear my wife, like she'd try to say things, I just couldn't hear her. And um, I just kept reacting. And then I was like, Doug, mate, what's going on? I think, I think Liz the issue here. And then he's like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. And then he's like, mate, I think we've got trauma going on. I'm like, what do you mean trauma? And um, he's like, yeah, trauma. I was like, wow, I haven't, I haven't been to war or I haven't, nothing, nothing. That bad's happened to me. And he's like, nah, mate, trauma is when your brain is flooded with emotions that you can't comprehend what's going on. I was like, oh, so what do you mean? He's like, well, Trauma is individualised, you know, it's everyone has their own trauma. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I started to, like, look back into, um, into childhood, into high school, into different stages of life where I faced trauma. And Doug's like, look, he invited me into this. He said, we can either just keep slowly chipping away at what we're doing, which is cool, or we can go into your trauma. And I said, all right, mate, let's go into the trauma. And I remember this, the first trauma session for the rest of my life. Um, because it, it changed my life radically. Um, so the trauma was, was um, which isn't actually the most important bit, but I'll give you some context. Trauma was, I was about... Four years old, um, in the corner of the room, getting beaten, and I was a mess. I was, um, I was crying. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly what had happened to get to there. Probably, yeah, I can't remember. So, but that's not the important part. The important part was a traumatic event where I, I, I couldn't comprehend everything happening around me. And so Doug, we, we went into this with Doug, and Doug said to me... Um, I was a mess, I was, I was snot everywhere, Les, you'll know this one, snot everywhere, tears. Um, in my lounge room. <laughs> yeah, in his lounge room. <laughs> Doug's giving me tissues and then I'm fishing that box and he's off to get another box and um, absolute mess. And yeah, he says to me, he says, um, mate, where, where's Jesus right now? I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean where's Jesus? He said, he said, where's, where's Jesus right now? I couldn't work it out. 
And at that moment, I realised, oh, shoot. Jesus is the one giving me the hiding. I'm in the corner of this room, and Jesus is the one giving me a hiding. And um, at that moment, I realised that I had formed this untrue version of Jesus that every time I did something wrong or bad or something to be ashamed or guilty of, Jesus would give me a hiding. So when I did something wrong, bad, or something I wasn't proud of, I'd run away from Jesus. I'd say, no way, I don't want to go near Jesus. He's going to give me a hiding. And so I had this completely wrong version of Jesus. He then asked me, Knowing who Jesus is to you now, because that's not who I think Jesus is, but that's how I feel Jesus is, he said, where is Jesus now? In this traumatic event, where is Jesus now? And I, I'll feel it for the rest of my life, but I felt Jesus come and hug me, take the blows. He removed me from the situation and said... I love you, and I'll care for you, and I'll nurture you, and I'll look after you. You are so cool just as you are. And I'll remember that for the rest of my life because it has radically changed my life. And I knew I'd cry sharing this because it has. This was the first time I truly understood love. <laughs> so much so, Leah and I were feeling a bit disconnected the other day, and um, I said to her, let's do some um, reconnection questions. So, so I googled some reconnection questions, and one of them said, um, when did you first love each other? And Leah's like, oh, well, that's easy. It was, um, it was the third date. We're at the beach on the bench, and you opened your heart to me. I could see your heart. And um, Leah's like, that's when I first loved you. I was like, oh, well, that was easy. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> and then um, she asked me, when did you first love me? And I knew instantly it was right after that trauma session when I first felt Jesus' love for me, I could go home and just love my wife. Yeah. No strings attached. Um, what this means for me now is I get this, um, this freedom that I've never experienced before myself. Um, I love myself, not in a weird way, but in the way that I am good because Jesus has made me good. Um, so I have this freedom within me um, a peace that I've never understood before. I have Jesus on a personal friendship way that I've never had before. And, um, yeah, my hope is that I just get to share this love that I've experienced with my friends and my family. And, um, yeah. It's cool, though. Yeah. i just got one little bit to share. Along this journey, I've had some people say, oh, this sounds a bit fruity. Um... <laughs> 
doing this trauma stuff. They've said, oh, mate, what are you talking about? Emotions and, um, yeah, trauma. What are you on about? And the bit that sticks with me is from John 13. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples before he gets ready to go to the cross. And um, he says to them, he's like, look, fellas, I need to clean your feet. I need to clean your feet before I head off so that you, I am with you. And um, Simon Peter, who I relate with mostly in the disciples, he said to Jesus, nah, you're not cleaning my feet. And then Jesus said, well, you won't be with me. I will clean your feet and then you will be with me. And Simon Peter says, well, not just my feet, my hands and my head as well. And um, that's what this journey's been. It's been asking Jesus not to ch- just clean my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Thanks. Cool. Jim McLeod, eh? Yes, please. Can someone give me some tissues? <laughs> what Paul didn't say is that there were streets that Paul couldn't drive down in Christchurch because of his trauma. The streets he, wouldn't, he wasn't able to drive down. If he drove down those streets, there was memories um, of the things that he'd see in those streets that, would, uh, that he just couldn't face. So he wasn't free. What does Jesus say? He's come to set us free, eh? Musos, can you come and give us another couple of songs? Today I want to touch on miracles, miracles flowing from each of us. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you're awesome in power. And Lord, you long to bless us. Lord, you look upon humanity and you see the pain, as we heard in Paul's story. Lord, you long to come. And and Lord, there's a work that you do with that. But there's a work that the body of Christ is called to do with that as well. We're to join with you in working through what it means to to walk with the pain of humanity. So God, we pray that um, we just invite you to come. Lord, we're in a world that's um, seemingly becoming even more shaky and uh, anxiety and uh, all these things that come out of it. All, the, um, all of the negative ways of doing conflict and all that sort of stuff, Lord, is hurting our world. That comes from Genesis 3. But Lord Jesus, you take us back to Genesis 1 and 2, to that place where we created good and live in that place of goodness. So Lord, as we gather around your word, we pray your blessing on us. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. Amen. When Jesus was here on earth, he demonstrated what it looked like to have the power of God flow through his life into the lives of other people by not only his teaching, but also by doing things. Things like making beautiful wine at a wedding, healing sick people, casting demons out, of people afflicted by demonic spirits, walking on water, 
feeding crowds from a cut lunch, and tons more things, and these things were all experienced by people around him. However, he wasn't being a show pony, he was just moved with compassion for the broken around him. Then he left earth, saying such things before he went like, if I don't come, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. And Jesus knew we really needed the Holy Spirit on us, on us, or we would never be able to accomplish what he modelled to us through his life on earth. The Holy Spirit has lots of roles to play in our lives, but one of them, from Acts 1, chapter 1 and verse 8, is to empower us, empower us to witness in real power. Not just talk about it, but real power. Not our power, but God's power. The intent was that the Holy Spirit would come upon Jesus' disciples and they, along with disciples of today, would demonstrate the power of God flowing through our lives into the lives of other people, just like Jesus did. The exact same way. It didn't take long for the early church Jesus followers, and I call them Jesus followers, not Christians. I call them Jesus followers to function in this way. If the first two chapters of Acts are about receiving the Holy Spirit, in chapter 3, this demonstration of the power of God flowing through a Jesus follower into another person really comes into being. Acts chapter 3 and verses 1 to 10. Let's read them out. One day, Peter and John were going into the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. There a man who was lame from birth, but like Paul, lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. He'd never done that before. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. There was a beautiful transaction from the followers of Jesus to a vulnerable person. Verse 6 is the crucial bit of this wonderful demonstration of God's power. Then Peter said, Silver gold I do not have, what I do have I give you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
This is the crucial bit of this wonderful demonstration of God's power. Two men, two ordinary men, have just allowed Jesus to flow through them into this crippled man since birth, overlooked by, by, by those around him every day, and an incredible miracle has taken place. I wonder how that man felt after this transaction. I'll bet you he would have been at church next Sunday. And I'll bet you he would have invited some mates like Paul did. I use the word ordinary men because that's exactly how they're described in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. When they saw, this is when the onlookers saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were, listen to this, unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took the note that these men had been with Jesus. I've done no Bible school, was kicked out of school, uh, high school when the day I turned 15 because they realised once I'd learned uh, how to do the 12 times table and can spell a bit and could read, I was out of there. Right? So this is not about education. I've done absolutely no training. No training at all. Right? And by the way, it's not about me. It's about the power of God working through us as Christians. And I've got nothing against um, uh, education. My son is about to be uh, the deputy principal of Middleton Grange School. So I've got nothing against education um, uh, at all. But what I'm saying is, this is beyond education. These are ordinary men. These are, these are Jesus followers. They were Jesus followers, right? However, what they did was recognised by other people. Not because they gloated about it, because, but because this brought freedom to a person around them. There's another word in this verse that stands out to me as well. The word courage. It takes courage to do the things that Jesus did. Have you discovered that? It's very easy to hide. Very easy to hide in the crowd. It takes courage to do the things that Jesus did. That's why Jesus calls each of us to die to ourselves daily. Every day. So that he can truly be able to throw, flow through our lives as he eagerly desires to do so. In Paul's testimony this morning, this was his journey over the past year. An uneducated man who had never knew, an ordinary man, took Paul by the hand and helped Paul stand up from the paralysis he'd experienced since birth. He has been completely healed spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, physically and socially from this affliction that was with him all his life. Not only that, but the roots of this go way back before Paul's time and they're slowly coming into the light as well. That's the miraculous power of God at work right there. This is an invitation to everyone who wants to follow Jesus, everyone who wants to follow Jesus, to allow him to show, flow through us by his power to transform lives. 
Paul is now ruined for a spirituality that has a form of godliness but has no power, as the scripture teaches. Luke 4, 18 and 19. This is what Jesus said. This is what he said he came to do. And we're to join him in this. He said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me, on him, because he has anointed me, that's him, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's what Paul's experienced. He's experienced that. It's incredible. Right? And um, so, um, so Jesus came to unlock every aspect of Paul's being. Will he still have stuff come up for him? Yep, he sure will. But now he has a way of dealing with ongoing stuff that will build relationship, that will build relationship and not destroy it. This is affecting all his relationships as God's power starts to flow through him like it had never done before. Don't our nations on earth need this? So let's now draw this in for us today. Some of us are very educated, incredibly educated, and that's great. In fact, I'm not diminishing education at all. But this is beyond education, actually. This is beyond earthly education. This is the work of the Spirit of God, right? This is about surrendering our lives to Jesus fully. This is what this is about. Question, question. Do people recognize you and I in the same way that they recognize the early disciples of Jesus? In other words, what do people say about your faith in Jesus when they're talking either to you or about you or about your faith? What do they say about it? Are you known for doing the sorts of things that are, that are common to the early church? Are you known for that? Does Jesus have permission given by you, that's part of your surrender, to demonstrate the kingdom of God to you at, at any time he may choose, or indeed at all? Remember, this is all about being available and letting his power flow through you not your power. It's about, you, about us surrendering our will to his purposes. By the way, this is just ordinary Christianity. That's all it is. Is this your regular experience? For me, I get concerned about where I am at if this isn't a, isn't a regular experience that I can't explain that is happening often around my life. That's normal for me. I start to get edgy after about a month if all of a sudden something awkward, something crazy, something really that I can't deal with but somehow Jesus breaks into around my life is happening. If I get to a month and that's not happening, not because I'm driven, but, but because... 
it means I'm starting to move away from God. I'm starting to let my fears rule or, or whatever rule my life and not Jesus. Remember, this is noticeable to others, Acts 3, verse 9 and 10. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him, they recognised him as the, as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. That should be our normative experience. That's the normative Christian experience. That's the early church experience that we're called to, all of us as Christians. Acts 4, verse 29 to 31. This is a normative fear for an early church Christian. Now, Lord, consider their threats, that's the, the people of the world, because they're being suppressed by the people of the world, and enable your servants, that's the disciples of Jesus, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So after they prayed that prayer, this is what happened. The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and, worked the, and, 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 and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you experience that? Have you experienced that? Have you experienced putting your hand out to someone and going on a journey with them and seeing Jesus miraculously do stuff with them? That is normative Christianity. That's what we're all called to. It's much, that, that prayer there is much like my end of year prayer. I'm expectant of the power of God to come on people around me for good. I expect that. I'm expecting it all the time. I position my life towards that. It's not my will, but his, his to be done. And I already know that I'm going to run into people this year that I've never met before, never seen them before in my life, and God's going to do incredible things in their lives. He does it every year. Why? Because I've surrendered to him and made my life available. He has my life. So let's just finish with some of the things that hinder us. And then we'll offer prayer. If you want prayer for this, then you come forward. I've, um, I've got one or two people that will, will pray, and uh, Rod's on holiday, but he'll come and pray. Um, uh, this is, no, it's his first day back, he said. Um, so the first thing is, the first thing is, some of the things that hinder us are, one, I'm not a born-again born follower of Jesus Christ. So even thing you've talked about, Doug, this morning would make very little sense, actually. If you're not born again, this will make little sense to you, actually. And if you want to do something about that later, um, then then very happy to, uh, to pray with you. The second thing is, I'm bound by fear. I'm bound by fear. And I can tell you now, fear pervades the church massively. So when I'm walking with people, one of the things we have to do is to, is to, um, is to work through the fears. There's massive fears. Massive. Paul had massive fears that he had to deal with. Right? And... Um, and so we had to go slow and, and, and that sort of stuff, but we got there. Uh, 1 John 
4, 18 and 19, have I got it? Oh, cool. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out, it drives it out. In other words, it's going to be driven out. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And we love because he first loved us. Is your life surrendered to Jesus? Or are your fears ruling you? It's like, oh, not me, Lord. I, I was talking, I, I've done some work with a pastor last year and he said, he said that um, every now and then about four or five times in his, his 20-odd years of being a pastor, uh, the Spirit of the Lord came on and he said, Lord, I'll make myself available to you. You can do whatever you want for, uh, through me. And then he said, in, the, in each time, five minutes later, he said, but please don't, Lord. Why? The fears. The fears had come up. The fears had ruled them. There's fear in this church. There's fear in every church. Are you, dealing, are you driving out the fears so you can be used by Jesus? Here's another one. Growing up in a Christian home that didn't model this lifestyle. All we got was teaching and be a good boy. Right? So when I became a Christian, I'd come home and I'd sit down at the table with my wife and kids and I'd tell them, I'd tell them what Jesus did today. I'd be biking home and sitting, you know, I'd bike past them and say hello, have a look at them. Next thing, next thing, bang, we're into it. So I'd tell my kids about it. The power of God was working through my life the, the moment I became a Christian. So, so my kids know when they're going to truly follow Jesus, that boom, miracles will happen. Because that's, that's the biblical model. Right? Growing up in a chrome, a Christian home that didn't model this lifestyle, you'll think this is nuts. You'll just pop along the church every Sunday and go, go, to, go to home group and you live a domesticated Christian life. Not called to that. We're called to walk in the power of the Spirit. Bounds by my own pain that actually makes me self-centred. All right? So we've got stuff going on inside of us, um, as Paul did at the start of last year, that we're, we're not dealing with this. Um, we'll just be self-centred, rather than Christ-centred, bound by our own pain. Conforming to the ways of this world, so, so I might be saved, but so distracted by the world's, world's toys that I'm not available for him. Or we haven't moved from education to a way of living beyond this world. There are just a few, few things that can hinder us. If God is touching your heart this morning, if you'd like some prayer around that, um, uh, and, and you're serious about following Jesus, on your, um, there's a diagram in the newsletter, I hope everyone's got a newsletter, there's a diagram there that's coming out, it's pretty hard to see, but it talks about um, the four calls of Jesus. So have a look on your, um, on your newsletter if you want to. The first call, if you're an unbeliever, it's, it says lost, is to come to Jesus. If you haven't come to Jesus yet, and you're here this morning and want to do that, then we can help you with that. Uh, but if you're a believer, you're then found. And the first part of being found is to come and follow Jesus. Is that where you're at? The second part of um, once we're found, once we're following Jesus, 
is that I will make fishes of men, Matthew 4.19. Are you consciously making fishes of others around you? And here's the third part of being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. I will go and make disciples. That's what my yearly prayer is about. I'm about making disciples of Jesus. Are you? So if you want prayer, as the musicians come forward, um, if you want prayer, if you'd like to um, uh, talk about that more, or if you're bound by stuff you want to be released from, if you want, just come forward and um, we'll pray for you um, uh, uh, or, or others will come forward and pray as well.